let's begin with some follow-up. I believe this is the last topic of last week, so let's just carry on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> An back, endless loop. We're going back to uh, the, the, the dating scene um, for for the Dutch. Uh, what, what's happened since we last spoke? Yeah, so the you know Apple announced that it was going to allow um, dating apps in the Netherlands to support alternative payment systems, including a link out to the web and actually integrated into the app itself. Uh, they would take commission and some other requirements like having to make a separate binary that would only be available in the Netherlands App Store. So it was a complicated process, but it was in compli- It seemed to be in compliance with the ruling from the Dutch Authority for, consumer- for Consumers and Markets. Apple said that full details would be released soon, like exactly what the percentage reduced per- percentage commission will be. Uh, it is now a week on and we haven't had any more information on that. But the uh, Dutch authority is actually not happy with Apple's announcements. They've uh, the the like the law that was requiring these changes uh, went ahead went into effect at the beginning of the year. And obviously two weeks in, Apple had announced its intent to allow this stuff, uh, but it wasn't actually allowing any of that to happen to take place. It was just you know sign up here to express your interest. Sure. Uh, so one of the things the dutch are not happy with is that they're just too slow i.e they should be they should be being able to do it right now not express your interest to be done in a few months time so that's one you know that that wrinkle is just well look apple's clearly going to do it they're just a bit slow on the uptake Uh, and then the other part is they have some concerns with what apple announced Uh, for instance they said that it's the the decision from apple seemingly forces app developers to make a choice to either offer payments outside the application or to offer alternate payment system because there's two there's two entitlements available and the way it's worded it says developers can choose either the link out or the alternate payment system one uh according to the dutch authority in accordance with their laws uh that is not allowed the providers must be able to choose both options so you should so essentially apple would have to say you can have both entitlements to do it in both ways if uh, you know at your discretion uh, and a couple of other minor things. It mostly seems to be just the fact that this should be in compliance from January 1st, 2022, and Apple clearly wasn't ready to do that. And they still haven't announced a firm release date for when this will actually begin. And for that, uh, the Dutch Competition Authority is now uh, fining Apple 5 million euros up to a maximum of 50 million euros. So each week they're paying an extra 5 million euros until this thing is, is in place. I mean, five million euros, not exactly going to break Apple's bank, but it's a bit of a kick in the teeth. You don't want it to last forever. Yeah, you suddenly have to charge them another five million euros. Clearly, Apple's going to get this thing rolled out soon, and I don't think the uh, policy issues are going to be much of an obstacle for them. It's not like the Dutch market, Dutch authorities saying you can't charge a commission or something fundamental to the business model, right? It's just some minor little details. The main thing is that Apple's just been slow in rolling this out because they should have had it out by now and it's not close to that. So they're getting a 5 million euro penalty every single week. Well, hopefully they, they find resolution there so that we don't have uh, you know, any any issues. I don't know what to say on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, next up is this iCloud bug that I, I wasn't really familiar with, but I but I saw on Twitter some developers um, like um, Paul Haddad from uh, Tapbots had, had built in an iCloud status page inside of TweetBot for iPhone, uh, just so that it would lessen the support request 
um, from customers who were having issues because of iCloud being uh, down for some reason. And, and, and is this related to the CloudKit developer thing that Apple mm-hmm. introduced? Yeah, like I think since probably about October, November time, I started seeing developers complaining that uh, CloudKit APIs or just iCloud APIs in general that developers have used for years and years and years to mostly uh, good success and reliability. Uh, but just after the release of iOS 15, those things started to just keep returning uh, 503 errors, which basically means the request was ignored and that means the syncing wasn't happening. Uh, there's a few different strands of like iCloud API, but the the main one's CloudKit and then some other, you know, like key value store stuff as well. But all of these systems seem to be having intermittent failures from about the October time period all the way through to now. And, you know, just gradually week by week, more developers would join the train and start com- start commenting on this stuff on Twitter. And then it got so bad that and it, like Apple didn't seem to be corresponding with them with any solution or any improvement or suggestion about how to work around this stuff. So, uh, yeah, like at the beginning of January, all these developers had rolled out um, basically iCloud status screens inside their apps because they were having so much support load from people contacting them saying their app's not working. In the case of Tweetbot, like the timeline's not syncing, the timeline position's not syncing across devices. And when really there was basically nothing they could do or Apple was, tell- was not giving them any advice about what they could do to work around these issues. Uh, you know, we get, we we posted it, some other sites posted it, and lo and behold, the next day... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Apple reached out to most of these people and explained the situation. Uh, they said that the 503 errors typically occur when request throttling kicks in. So if an app has done the request too often, they basically get rate limited, and the 503 is normally the status code for rate limiting. But this was affecting apps that had that were using under completely normal limits, and so Apple found that there was a bug that was seemingly impacting the safeguard that was resulting in a higher than normal usual number of errors. Uh, the server improvements are rolling out and a separate issue was just about some of the CloudKit stuff's taking a long time to sync and in the uh, just released iOS builds uh, that issue has apparently also been addressed with uh, Apple developer reach uh, reach out uh, to tell people that these issues have been addressed so once again it's just another case where stuff is kind of bad and then left in a crappy state and then it hits the press and then suddenly all of this stuff that you have to assume Apple was investigating internally for months, right? But for whatever reason, their culture, their policy, their communication chain, it just doesn't... They can't even tell people, like, yes, we're working on it. But, you know, it, it lands on the front of 95 Mac and some other blogs, and then all of a sudden they have, they, they do this massive PR uh, fix-up where they can go around and tell everybody, that, oh, we fixed it, we're rolling this out right now, and there'll be some more improvements soon. Sorry, guys. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just another case of don't run to the press because it doesn't help, and yet it helps. Could we could we do a service like like a paid service for developers who need issues resolved? Like sponsors. It's like a, we just do like a a, a weekly featured feedback. Like you just <laughs> use a radar number, and then every week there's just a little column on it. And then mm-hmm. you know if you if you pay a bit more, then you get another feature, and then Apple eventually addresses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and then finally uh, in our first segment, Apple has uh, introduced the annual shot on iPhone challenge. Uh, this time it is specific to uh, macro photography on the iPhone, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but that means you have to have a, a 13 Pro or 13 Pro Max iPhone? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Like, yeah. I don't mind. Like, you know, it's just a fun challenge. If they want to if they want to uh, focus on the new features, there's no problem with that. Because the first year they did it, 
it was basically just like you just take a photo on your iPhone and then submit it. And then the second time around, it was night mode photography. I believe was the was the thing was the requirement. Uh, and then this this time around, it is macro mode. So you do need a a new iPhone to do it. Uh, but I think it makes sense to give these things a bit of a theme to focus on the newer features. The Apple uses these as advertising as much as they do as just a fun challenge, right? So it makes sense for them to focus on newer features of the phone. Um, I like these things. It's, I don't think... Did they do one last year? I feel like they missed a year, um, uh, maybe during the pandemic. Possibly. Because yeah. I can only remember the night mode one and then the normal one and then this one. So I think they might have skipped a year for some reason. But uh, now they're back on it again with another challenge. Uh, I think it's cool. Like, these... they should. I honestly... They should do more of these kind of things. Like... A couple of years back, we found evidence in um, iOS code that they were kind of working on some sort of like challenge system, shot on iPhone challenge system that would be integrated into the Photos app itself. Mm-hmm. And so if you just went to like a tab in the Photos app, it would say like, join in on the monthly competition and share your photos. And, you know, Apple would pick a pick a winner or whatever. Uh, I think it'd be cool if they did do it on a more frequent basis. It wouldn't have to be like as official. Obviously, these ones, they get like, you know, they get some money and they get attention and they do a big... Uh, new story about it and they give you loads of press attention and coverage if they just did something more casual they they kind of do this on instagram already where if you go on apple's instagram they quite often have little like photo challenges and they invite people to you know take their own and and hashtag them and stuff but the feature in sight like natively integrated into the photos app never has yet to materialize but i think it's a it's a cool direction they might eventually get around to yeah i looked back and 2019 was the first one i believe which is the you know I think they emphasize in the iPhone because uh, for the spirit of the competition or spirit of the challenge and and also and that year's controversy was they originally said they weren't going to get paid right and then, yeah, yes that was and then it. They, they 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 reverse course on that well, rightly so but yeah that was the controversy of that year that is correct um, and then and then you're correct that the next year was uh, night mode and nothing last year you're right about that as well and so now we have the the macro um you know our, our former uh colleague dom esposito he, he posted some nice photos on instagram that were macro you know for the sake of the challenge I, and they're really good i i have not been able to get a good macro shot i think it's just i'm not going out in like bright lighting or something like that you know um I, i'm 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 pleased with how the macro mode has turned out where you always have a toggle on on the you know viewfinder basically, and you can touch it to turn off macro. Um, a, a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned to you, I ha- I took a picture of my kids at like a trampoline park, jumping park, and macro mode was being enabled for uh, you know taking pictures of my kids at a distance, and I could turn it off, you know, and I ended up turning it off like mid shot at one point when I realized what it was doing. And um, the, the picture is like, it was a live photo and the live photo was like, the still photo was like black with like a little bit of the scene moved in the background, like twisted, but then you could play the live photo and see like what it was doing macro and then what it wasn't doing, like what it was doing after the macro, you know, switching lenses. Um, so, so two things, you know, that was kind of neat just to see, but also <laughs> I don't know why macro is being enabled, taking pictures of my kids at a distance. I'm sure there was something you know, in the foreground that was confusing it, but yeah, the speck uh, of dust on the lens. Camera. Yeah. Yeah. It's so far for me, it's a swing and a miss on, on um, actually getting anything good out of macro. <laughs> it, you, it, you do need decent light for macro mode. Cause remember it's using that ultra wide lens, which is yeah. 
the one that takes in the least amount of light out of all, all of the sensors on the back. And I believe the iPhone UI even tells you if you're in super dark lighting that macro is going to you know make it brighter or something. Um, just because you just need more light, otherwise it's going to be really really blurry and really glitchy. Yeah, but I've, I've seen plenty of examples of people sharing photos that look really really good uh, in macro in macro photography mode. So you know it's definitely not a gimmick; like it's a proper feature. Uh, but you do need the the more opportune circumstances to get it to be just right. And like you say, it is nice that they finally fixed the UI. So it is the most obvious, most awesome. You know, it's still automatic, but you also have the manual control if you desire. And it's clearly evident in the UI what's going on. Yeah. There's uh, macro control. I'm looking in the settings now for the camera app. Macro control, preserve the auto macro setting rather than automatically using the ultra wide capture. I think I'm going to turn that on because I, I, I find myself turning macro, like the yellow activated icon, tapping it often, you know, because I am getting like, even if it's, if it's not like a macro picture, I'm just like, it's, it's, it's fuzzier and hazier. And then I turn it off and then it looks like you expect it to look from an iPhone. So I'm going to try that and see if that helps out. <laughs> I think it will. Happy Hour this week is brought to you by Things. If you want to achieve your goals in 2022, you've got to have a plan. And there's no better tool than the award-winning app, Things. Things is a rich to-do list which lets you organise by project. For each of your goals, just make a project. Add the steps to reach those goals as to-do list items and then schedule due dates as necessary. Every morning, Things has already prepared your list of to-dos for the day. You can just put them in an order and get on with your day to keep you organised and on track. All your to-dos and things sync through the cloud between Things on Mac, Things on iPhone, iPad and even the Apple Watch app. And of course, you can also connect your calendar to see your events right alongside your to-dos. And you can set up to-dos that automatically repeat on a schedule. And Things has comprehensive markdown support for really rich text notes. So you can add bold, italics, headings, code blocks, underline the lot, all to your to-do list items, and they, they give you plenty of room to write. It's not contained in a tiny little single-line text field. You get this nice big canvas to add really rich notes to your to-dos as it makes sense to do so. And Things prides itself on its incredible attention to detail and design. It looks good, and perhaps even more importantly, it feels good to use. It offers a fully native app experience with impeccable care taken to the smallest details, and that's just one of the reasons why Things is a two-time winner of an Apple Design Award. So if you haven't tried Things before, check out their latest version right now. Go to thingsapp.com to learn about all the great features of Things and get a free trial for your Mac. That's thingsapp.com. And of course, you can also find it in the App Store. Just search for Things. Whatever it is you want to do to accomplish in life, Things can help you get there. Go to thingsapp.com and try the app today. Thanks to Things for sponsoring the show. Yeah, and I'm a huge Things fan, so I can say that I've been a user since 2012, which is a long, long time ago. Um, and there's, you mentioned the Apple Watch support. There was one thing where, you know, um, watch apps haven't always, always been great on their own. Um, they were originally dependent on the iPhone, of course, as we know. Um, things would, you know, understandably it would rely on the iPhone to receive, like, update the app, the app on the watch. And there was a major update maybe a year or two ago that made things on the Apple Watch as independent as things on the Mac or iPhone or iPad. And so you can just be on Wi-Fi or cellular and your things, um, Apple Watch app will, will have up-to-date information in it, which I think is just really a, a good touch. 
So love things. Next up, we have a new Apple Watch face and band, which is rare these days. Um, this is the the new Unity Lights face, which is really cool. I think we're all calling it like the lightsaber face. And there's a new braided solo loop to go along with it, which is, I think this is the second year where they've had um, this Unity theme um, band for the Pan-African flag. Um, this year, last year's was a sport band um that was like a, a mix of of the colors involved and this year is is the uh twice as expensive but but you know high i guess good quality um woven uh, loop solo loop braided solo braided loop, solo loop yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's mostly black with like specks of red and yellow and green so it's a lot more subtle um what do you what do you think about the watch face first and then, and then the band yeah like the face was obviously a big surprise here because we've seen them do um you know partnerships with bands and faces before but it's never been a surprise we've had years where they did the pride bands and they leaked in the code because they obviously or they just appear in the betas right before they're officially announced and we'd find them and it'd be like oh a new pride bands coming soon and then they would drop it at a certain time and it would just appear on the watch which was cool they've done uh other faces where they're not actually in the software yet so then when they do the press release it's like and these faces will be coming out with the release of ios 14.2 or whatever and then the very next day there's the gmc of ios 14.2 available and what do you know the face is included with it which is great but this time around the face just dropped to anybody running seemingly almost any version of ios 15 like it wasn't just people on the beta it wasn't just the latest public version ie 15.2 but about the same time around the world, a little notification popped up on the iPhone that basically just said, we have a new watch face for you to try. Unity Lights watch face. This new face is now available on your Apple Watch. And you could just go to the watch face gallery and it would be just sitting right there. And you pressed a button and it would add it. Like, that is so, so cool. It's just, they kept it a surprise from everybody. The people snooping around like it, you didn't have to wait for another beta seed to drop to come out and download it and see it and then it would have a little lag but it was available to everybody no they put out the press release and at the sim- same time simultaneously they can just shoot over the watch face to your devices that is just a great development and they've they've had to go out of their way to make that happen because the old system where it was just coming in the next beta release was good enough that kept the surprise but it just wasn't ideal they could have done the thing where it's just already in the betas and it's just shipping and waiting for a certain date and time to become available. But then you lose the surprise element because, you know, people like our website are going to find out about it beforehand. So they've obviously gone out of the way to develop this system which can unlock the face in a, like, truly surprise manner at a specific time. We've been trying to do some digging into this to try and work out exactly what they've done because, you know, naively, it just looks like they're just downloading a watch face and they're just sending it over the air as if you were downloading an, an app, right, from the App Store. But of course, the watch doesn't have a watch face store, much to my disgust, because I think it should. And this could be an indicator that they're kind of working on this thing, because it seems like the same approach, but it might not be that sophisticated. Uh, it's quite hard, this area of the code, to figure out what's going on just by looking at the you know the headers and stuff. But based on... Uh, talks about a few people in investigation maybe what they did is they actually had the bundle of the watch face installed on your device for a few versions 
but it was stored in an encrypted block. So basically, they like encrypted it with a password, and that was what was sitting on the software of your watch for months, right? And then at 2 p.m., all that gets downloaded is the decryption key, which is just this, you know, string of, of, of text that is the exact password to decrypt the bundle that was encrypted on there. And then the, the watch can un, unwrap the watch face that's been sitting dormant for months and activate it. So that provides the surprise to people because, you know, you, uh, someone just snooping through the code can't see this just encrypted blob of data, right? Uh, but it means that you're not actually downloading the entire face over the air. You're just downloading the little uh, decryption key. So either way, like that is a cool system. And if they've, if they've gone to that much effort to do it, they're obviously going to do it more, which is great as well, because we all want more watch faces. And now it gives them opportunity to make it like an event every couple of months when they can roll it out. Ideally, this is a precursor to a proper third party watch face store, but <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen. Right. But it is cool. Yeah, and, and, it, and this is the same style of watch faces. Like, you know, you mentioned third-party watch faces. Um, this is the same, like, approach to watch faces that Apple has had since the Series 4. It works on Series 4 and up, um, where you it can be full screen or it can be circular with, with corner complications. Um, you can you can have it be, you know, one set of colors uh, for the, the Pan-African flag, or you can have it be just black and white. Um, but, but there is like, like we said, mentioned the lightsaber effect. There is this cool effect with the, the, um, the, the hour and minute hands where that, that kind of glows, um, as it, as it moves along. And then you can also, you can reveal, um, the tick marks for the hours or you can turn those off. So, um, it's, 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 a, it's the most different watch face Apple has made using the existing styles that they support, you know? Yeah, and the um, the developer, like the Apple engineer who made it, tweeted that it's actually using ray tracing to render the scene in real time. So it's not just like they've just you know pre pre created pre baked a load of video frames that they just play around, which some of the watch faces are right. Like, um, but this one is apparently rendered on the on on the fly, simulating how light how light bounces around a room and environment, and then rendering that on the screen. That's cool. So that's just a cool technological fact. However, it does feel then a little restrictive that they don't let you like customize the colors at all because you get obviously the the green and red theme is for um you know Black History Month and everything which is great uh, and, and and all but if they've got the flexibility to basically render this in any way they want I think it would be nice if you know the Black History Month theme was like the default and then you could get the chance to change it up because it is a really cool looking face with how it they with how it like glows around the thing but your only options are green and red or black and white and, and like a grayscale look so fortunately i like black and white <laughs> <laughs> the black and white one's cool the green and red one's cool as well but you know i like the rainbow i really like the rainbow faces they added you know a year or so ago and so if they could do a rainbow version of this it would also be nice uh, yeah that's coming later this year when they do the i mean <laughs> very well might be if they if they are rendering with ray tracing they can customize it quite freely the other thing is you don't get any complications on the full screen mode which is an issue Apple has with a lot of their faces. Yeah. They're like all of the faces that are kind of like a scene on their background are not just like a plain color background. They all do the thing which you said, right? Where it's if it's full screen, you don't get complications, or you can do a circular crop and you get complications around the edges. But that kind of limits the utility of the face long term. Like any face that can't support complications to me ends up falling out of rotation because I've, uh, you know, I at the very least want 
the activity rings in the corner or something. And I don't like the circular versions of these things. The full screen ones are just so nice. And even on the newer watches, they look even better because the bezels are so thin. Yeah. For for me, it's the like, like you said, the, the full screen ones look way better, especially on the newer watches. Um, but but like you also, I, I want to have some information on the watch, not just the time. And um, for me, it's weather and the date. And then and that's those are like required. So on, on on contour, the one that's the the new style for the series, what, what are we on now? Eight watch. Um, that one it's full screen, but it has center complications where you can have the date and one more thing, so you can do date and weather, um, and that works that works pretty well for me. But you know these these that you can't do that with. I don't even even though they're way prettier, I don't even can like try to use the full screen ones because it it. it it's more like a tech demo for me and not as not mm-hmm. as utilitarian, I suppose. No, for sure. Um, so if they could have just added a nice little corner overlay for a couple of complications, that would have turned it from like a nice couple of week curiosity to like a, you know, practically functional thing. But this is still, it's still a great thing they did. If they're giving you watch hosts for free, you can't complain. And I hope they do it more than like going forward, especially now they've got this system set up uh, to make it like a true surprise of here we go, it's... 2 p.m. on Tuesday. Here's the press release. Boom. You've got a notification on your iPhone saying you've got a new watch face to play with. Yep. And the original Unity face from last year, it was a different style than we'd seen before. Like this is this is the same style of faces, but you know, the ray tracing thing makes it more unique. Um the original Unity face, it's it's a digital digital clock, right? And it's it's hour on top, minute on bottom, you know, and with like big bold numbers. And that that didn't fit the you know it wasn't like they just took a an existing template for the watch faces and made one out of that that was its own new thing. Yeah, for sure. This one's cooler though, especially when you put the tick marks on because you get more of the refractions of the shadows. Yeah, like it def- it defaulted for me without the tick marks, and it was nice, but it felt quite plain. But when you put the uh, when you put the little indices on, it look it just makes it way nicer in indices, terms of the overall That's look. it. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Cool. All right. The, the band's cool as well, don't you think? I I do. Uh, I don't trust the 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 the. the uh, I'm looking at the name and the notes again. Braided solo loop <laughs> because I received one last year from Apple as part of like the watch review unit, and I it was just the black one, and I wore it primarily. Um, and and they do warn like like the the website or packaging or something that you know the shape will change over time. But it, it changed so much that maybe it was always this way and I didn't notice it. But I, I know I've shared pictures with you where it looked like it was a band made for the smaller Apple Watch, but it was used on the large Apple Watch. So, so. Yeah, like I, I'm, you're not the only person to talk about this. I've seen other people say as well that like where the lugs are, it just seems to get really stretched. So yeah. it kind of pushes inwards almost. So yeah, it does, it does deform its shape, as, as particularly where it connects to the actual watch. Right. Cassie. Yeah, so if that doesn't bother you, then they're great. They're very comfortable and everything, but um, that does bother me. <laughs> so. Yeah, I've never tried a solo loop or a braided solo loop because they all came out during pandemic times. And, mm, and you need to I don't, know your size you for like, size. Yeah, you need to do size checks. And they have the online guide thing, and I know it's like close enough, but it's such a pain, and I've just carried on with my sport band. But I like the idea of them. I've just never took the plunge to actually do it, but... Maybe when my watch comes up for you know getting the new one, I'll probably die for a solo loop band just to try it out. Yeah, I, I do have a solo loop one. You know, not not the the woven nylon type material, but just the you know there is even lighter than a sport band. Um, 
And that one's Yeah, the Brady fine. ones are too expensive. Nine nine dollars for that, I think. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty premium for what they are. Um, but I was fortunate enough to have Apple PR guess my uh, band size. I think it's eight. And uh, it was perfect. So <laughs> didn't have to do any, any sizing at all. It was just a, a guess and it was, it was correct. But yeah, Unity watch face over the air downloading and watch faces. Great stuff. They should do it more often. It's a cool, it's a cool thing. Happy Hour is also sponsored by Trade Coffee. 90% of coffee from the grocery store is actually stale. So get out of your usual routine and stop buying it. Instead, let Trade Coffee send you something that has been freshly roasted. No matter how you love to drink coffee, Trade Coffee makes it easy to brew your best cup in the comfort of your own home. It's available at drinktrade.com slash happy hour. Trade sells the freshest, roasted and ethically sourced beans from America's best independent roasters. They ship free to you as often as you like, whole or ground beans. Trade coffee experts taste test over 400 different roasts and they use technology to match you to your ideal coffee based on your preferences and brewing method. So take their coffee quiz to get started. They guarantee that they'll love that you'll love your first bag or they'll replace it for free. Their subscription is no hassle. You can easily skip payments, skip shipments, change your delivery frequency or cancel at any time. So Zach, I know you got a chance to try this out, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love these things where they have a quiz and there's enough questions and answers to choose from that you feel like it really considered your, your preferences. And, and that's, that's what trade coffee does is they've got this excellent quiz that ranges from, you know, sort of coffee novice like me um, to someone who is much more involved in the process. And I was surprised to learn that, you know, I'm, I'm like more like a pod, you know, make coffee with a, with a pod kind of person. And they, totally understand that and have um, this pick that they recommended for me, which uh, they say extracts well in pod machines. So um, that's pretty cool. I, I was, I, I thought this may be intimidating, but it, it, it fit me in my like novice, you know, kind of lazy coffee uh, use. And the pick that was recommended for me is awesome. It's called Alma and it's from Canton, Georgia, which is uh, just above uh, Atlanta, Georgia, which is not too far from me, like eight hours. So it kind of makes it feel special in that way too. So so far, so good. Love it. That's nice. And for our listeners, right now, Trade Coffee is offering a total of $20 off your first three bags when you go to drinktrade.com slash happy hour. To get started, take their quiz at drinktrade.com slash happy hour and start your journey to a perfect cup. One more time, that's drinktrade.com slash happy hour for $20 off your first three bags. Thanks to Trade Coffee for sponsoring the show. Next up, we have a bunch of software updates. iOS 15.3, macOS 12.2, watchOS 8.4, and some tvOS and HomePod stuff in the mix as well. So, uh, and, and these are the public releases of yeah. software that was in beta over the last few weeks. Um, first thing that you point out here is that Safari is snappier, which is often joked about. Um, why is that true this time? Yeah, if you recall all of the uh, nonsense around promotion support uh, with Apple's operating systems, we're still waiting for the final resolution to the iPhone side of situations. Uh, but on the Mac, uh, it does appear, and I've tested it in person, and it's not just placebo, uh, Mac OS 12.2 dramatically improves uh, the rendering performance of Safari on ProMotion Display, i.e. on the new Mavic Pro. Like, you scroll on that thing, now it feels way smoother than it did before. It it feels great. Like, there's definitely other parts of the operating system 
where it still feels laggy and and 60 fps which was you know fine before but as soon as you get used to 120 then you want it everywhere right uh but safari has to be in the top three use cases for something like a promotion display in terms of how i use my laptop on a daily basis where you're scrolling the most you're scrolling in a web browser and thankfully with 12.2 the safari version that ships with that it fixes the problem it feels so smooth to scroll up and down now like it's just great so yeah not much not, not much to say it just works as it should have out of the box that's good. Uh, and, and of course, that's, that's with the, you know, if you have a promotion display, so it's the new MacBook Pro on 14 and 16 inch uh, size. Um, is this also the version that changes the music app from being not as native as it was before <laughs> and now it's a little bit more native? Yeah, it, it is. I did try that as well. It's less, it's far less noticeable than the promotion change. Like, I can tell, but it's not. It's, it's still slow to load pages, to put it that way, right? It's like, more noticeable for me on my MacBook Air than promotion, but I that but that's because I don't promotion. I didn't I didn't notice if 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 we weren't if you know if if our team didn't tell me that this was in the in the beta version in the beginning, I would never have noticed. Yeah, they changed it on the TV app in the last release, and there it's. And I'm not just saying this because I obsess over the TV app so much, right? It just genuinely is a lot more noticeable when the change they went from a web view on that app to you know their native rendering layout thing. Uh, for whatever reason, the music app uh, it is slightly more responsive in a couple of places, but it's it's actually worse in some places as well, yeah. just in terms of scroll performance. Uh, but in general, I'd say it's about the same. And so, it's a good stepping stone for them at, at the framework level, you know, the internal development cycle. But in terms of customer improvements, it's you know, it's not a huge deal this time around. But and that's why they didn't make a big deal out of it, right? We only knew about it because we found code references about it. Right. Um, yeah. So hopefully down the road we'll get the you know performance and speed increases that Apple Music sorely needs. But this is a nice stepping stone on the technology spectrum, at least for Mac users of music. And then and then also corrected, I believe we found it in the, in the release candidate version of, of of the software updates. But the indexed DB issue. Yeah. So the problem we spoke about in last week's show, where a web brow- a website could get a decent proxy for recent browsing history and some other information like your Google ID and stuff. Uh, that is now corrected in the shipping versions of the operating system. So, again, it was reported in November, but when it was made a public stink about it, it got fixed within like the space of a week. So, uh, take that as you will. Yeah, and and that's the bulk of this of these updates. There, there really aren't any things that we're missing. And so, yeah, <laughs> I was expecting them to have something like in their sleeve in terms of like a public feature. Uh, but it didn't. It didn't transpire. There's nothing. Nothing else to speak of, really, for these versions. It's just bug fixes, security updates, obviously. Um, the the yeah. good news, though, is that they're you know one day after the release of these, um, you know, versions of software that have been in beta since right before the new year. I think right before Christmas, even um, we get some interesting beta uh, uh, versions of of iOS and macOS. So um, iOS fifteen point four beta, macOS twelve point three beta. Uh, and then you know each one for TVOS and, and HomePod and, and WatchOS. Um, big big new thing in in um, iOS fifteen point four is that if you have an iPhone with Face ID, uh, you you now have some options for sort of what the trust settings are for Face ID for for how secure it is based on use cases. So before the way it worked was you set up Face ID with your face um, if you. Wear glasses, you know, it works the glasses. If, if you wear shades, then you could say, like, um, 
don't don't require detecting presence. And that was those were kind of your options. That you know, then they added um, multiple faces, which uh, I think helped some people, but it didn't didn't help a whole lot. Uh, and, and then last year, I think it was they added the, the feature where if you have an Apple Watch with a passcode that's been authenticated on your wrist, then Face ID can bypass facial recognition entirely. And you know, if you're wearing a mask in public or something, then you then you skip Face ID entirely because your Apple Watch did the trick for you. Uh, this time, they've added new features that even if you don't have an Apple Watch, you can choose to set up face ID and if you're wearing a mask, it will identify areas around your eyes. Even if you wear glasses um, that it, it recognizes you with. So the, the security level there is probably drop by a lot. And I think even like wearing prescription glasses, clear lenses is, is another option. So the more, you know, conditions it has probably the less secure it is. And there's no support for mask plus sunglasses, but you no longer will need an Apple watch to bypass Face ID or use Face ID with a mask. So, uh, you know, uh, normally I think, you know, maybe we would have said like this would have been great during pandemic, but unfortunately, you know, conditions haven't really changed with all the variants. And so this is still very useful. Uh, only in beta today for developers, probably in public beta by the end of the week. Um, but it seems like it's a very well received feature. Yeah. I mean, like I'm not complaining that it took this long, but it had taken so long that they hadn't done it that I just kind of assume that it wasn't possible or they were never going to do it you know uh so it was a nice surprise that 54 bait comes out and here it is you can now set up face id uh, with with a mask identification and they also made the face id icon which is like you know camera focus plus face in the middle <laughs> they have a version of it now with a mask on to to identify this new mode and it's really cute i mean as far as that goes it's, it's, yeah, and they do say in the little <laughs> copy that it's face ID is most accurate when it's set up for full face recognition. Uh, but obviously, they're acknowledging that it's incredibly inconvenient when you are outside with a mask on and you want to unlock your phone and you don't have an Apple Watch that you just get hit with your passcode screen. So now they're offering you the option to have the, the reduced security mode, which is going to be, frankly, fine for most people anyway. Because uh, you only want really like your phone to be locked so that if someone picks it up, they can't get into it. They, you're, you're not caring too much about the person who's going to go home, set up some, you know, FBI level re- face reproduction system, right? Like you're just trying to stop the base cases of thieves and robbers and just prying eyes from getting into your devices. That's that's accounting for 99 percent of what people want to lock their phone for. Uh, and whether you've got face ID in full mask mode or, full, or face ID in uh, the reduced mode, it's not gonna it's not gonna make a difference to that use case. So this is definitely something they should have done. From the start, clearly they've been working on it, and now it's ready to ship. One little wrinkle I found is that I have an iPhone 11 Pro, and the option to enable this isn't there. So, so it it's... seems like so if you have a 10, 10s, 10, 10 R, 11, 11 Pro, those, those won't work. From what we know, yeah. So and far. of course, we're, we've only found this in the beta. Apple hasn't released its full documentation yet, so uh, maybe maybe they're going to add it, maybe not. But at least on this beta, it doesn't seem to. It seems to require iPhone 12 or iPhone 13. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Hmm. but for me i have an apple watch so it's not a huge deal but i have other members of my family uh who have older iphones so they would wish they would wish that this feature uh was there and it's not going to be but it wasn't there before so they were just putting up with it but it is so good that they've added this for most people because even in a non-pandemic environment like even if you went back to 2019 we're obviously very european u.s centered 
but you can go to other countries where mask wearing was much more in the culture as a thing especially in like japan and stuff so and they sell iphones there and i'm sure in their in their country people complaining that when they switch from td to face id uh that it wasn't working well for them so even in those environments excluding any covid19 stuff it makes sense to add this and it is 100 percent true that the pandemic is not over these these are all really cool features and and i can't wait for them to be out of beta you know probably in a couple months time um and it is one of those things where it makes you want to you know move to the public beta if nothing else because it's like oh this this can be useful right now um but all of that to say that still it it would be <laughs> it would be nice to have touch id in the style of touch id on the ipad mini and ipad air where it's in the power button so that you have the option of face id or touch id like having both is just would be really convenient um apple seems to want to perfect touch id under the display so that it's uh, i guess even more convenient you know and there is the issue like there's not really an issue on the ipad air and mini with the case that you're using covering the the sensor on the button but if you were to look at the iphone right now it, it would need to you know cases obviously would need to consider the touch id side button and it, it would need to be you know sort of flush on that side so you could actually use it so you know that, that maybe that's a big factor too but um you know in the meantime we're getting these these steps of of quality of life improvements for how we use our phones and in, in, in different scenarios so i agree with you that it'd be better if they had both options but i'm not sure about the in the meantime comment like the existence of this stuff is almost a acknowledgement that they're not going to do touch ID at all like even if it's under the display maybe they're going for face id only for everything forever mm, yeah because my because before it felt like if you if you go back to pre-covid i was like you know they can probably get away with uh, like ideally you'd have both biometrics in there but they can probably get away with face id only uh and then covid hit and it was like no they can't but now they've got this option and it does seem to work pretty well so maybe they maybe that's their strategy and they're just going to go f- camera only, you know f- uh, face recognition only like it doesn't seem i i it doesn't okay at the very least <laughs> it's not going to be in the iphone 14 it's probably not gonna be in the iphone 15 right like i don't think they'd be adding this feature if right around the corner there were phones coming out that i'm just gonna pretend that the hardware and and, and the software of this one feature is completely on different tracks <laughs> it also depends i guess when they started working on this because if they did start working on it in june of 2020 that's even further back on the on the spectrum of the hardware development cycle. So if they knew they were adding Touch ID in 2023, but the pandemic hit in 2020, then it didn't matter because they were still going to release many generations of phones between that time. And even when 2023 comes out, and let's assume that they have a Face ID model, they have a Touch ID model there, they're still selling loads of Face ID only models for years to come. So it is, it is true that it makes sense to have this feature regardless of what the hardware um, roadmap looks like, but it doesn't fill me with confidence about Touch ID returning, if you see what I mean. Like, what Bloomberg keeps saying is that Apple intends to just bring Face ID to every product in the lineup. Uh, we haven't heard much concrete stuff about them offering both, you know, both biometrics. Yeah, and it would be easy on the iPad to do because there's so much space and, you know, you could have the Touch ID button from the Mini in there on an iPad Pro, which already has Face ID. Um, but, it, it, you know, the case against that, I suppose, is is the cost and also... You just don't interact with the iPad in the same way as you do, you know, pulling out your phone so frequently. You know, I don't know, but 
That's it. Uh, what's new for Apple TV? Because TVOS has some software changes in this cycle, which is you know, always good news. Yeah, so one nice thing is when you're in the TV app and you're playing a video using their redesigned video player, now there's actually a little tab in the in the bottom menu for your up next queue. So you don't have to go all the way back to the home screen just to see your up next queue. While you're in the middle of watching a show, you can see the other things that you you know that are on deck to watch right there. That's a nice improvement. They're also adding uh, captive network support. So they've had this on like the HomePod for a while, but it never came to the Apple TV. If you're in like a hotel, for instance, where when you connect to the Wi-Fi, you can't just connect to the Wi-Fi. You have to go through a web browser to like type in a username and password or pay for something or log in, right? Like that's called a captive network in that it doesn't let you immediately connect to the internet. You have to go through this like login page first, which on an iPhone or iPad isn't a problem or a laptop or on, you know, on a Mac because it just launches Safari. You can type it in there and then you get on with your day and the Wi-Fi is connected. But you look at our Apple TV, which doesn't have a web browser in it at all. You just couldn't connect to the Wi-Fi that way. You'd have to like proxy through your phone or whatever or do something stupid like that. But you look at the HomePod, Apple added captive network support for the HomePod a while back. So if you try to log into captive Wi-Fi on a HomePod, it will just pop up a thing on your phone that asks you to complete the login process. Um, and now they're doing the same thing for the Apple TV. So Good. Yeah, and, and it's quite there's a decent use case for an Apple TV or a streaming device of any kind where even if you're using it primarily at home, if you're going on holiday and you're going to a hotel, you just put the Apple TV in your in your luggage and you take it with you. Mm-hmm. And so when you get to your you know, your vacation or whatever for a week, you want to use the Apple TV there. And you, it was a real pain to do before because a lot of the times the Wi-Fi would be locked down. But now you can just log in via your phone and, and carry on what you're doing, which is nice. Yeah, they, they say hotels in dorms as, as the use case that they present. Uh, it's a pretty pricey box for a dorm, I'd say. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you need to be a rich student to justify an Apple TV. But maybe, maybe this is another step towards an Apple TV stick. It's some cheaper option because that makes a lot more sense to take to. Hotels and dorms. That's awfully optimistic of you. We can hope. I know that's a that's a hope dream, not a not a reality. I bought my first Apple TV uh, my second year of college, and I didn't know what it was gonna, what it was for. I mean, I knew what it could do, but I didn't know what I was going to use it for. You know, it, that was when it was cheaper, though. It was cheaper. It. Yeah, I could, <laughs> it, was, it was a lot cheaper. <laughs> like mm-hmm. the, it, when you bought it, it would have been ninety nine dollars, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, and now it's one fifty for the HD model, and still one seventy for the 4k model insane pricing good product insanely priced and i've now joined the use case where next time i replace an apple tv i'll get the higher tier for 30 dollars, 20 dollars more because i'm you know i'm seeing apps go away <laughs> disappear for space reasons we're gonna move right along to universal control which is now available to try if you have uh current mac beta version uh, and ipad beta version and I, you know, I don't have the, 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 I don't have like multiple Macs or I don't, I don't even use an iPad right now. So it's just my MacBook Air. So there's no way for me to try this out. Um, but the colleagues who have like, like our colleague Chance Miller did it with his MacBook Pro connected to a Pro Display XDR and his iPad mini. And he was just really impressed by being able to drag a file from his iPad mini to his desktop on, on the MacBook Pro. And of course, you know, it's it's also mouse and keyboard support or trackpad support. So you can type on your iPad. You can move your cursor to your iPad and type uh, on, on that screen from your, your Mac, mouse, keyboard, and trackpad. Or if you have an iPad with a Magic Keyboard, you can control your Mac that way as well. 
So th- this this feature is so interesting just because, you know, it was an impressive demo at WWDC last June. Uh, it didn't ship in the fall with macOS 12. Um, they said it was going to be later in the year, I believe. And then later in the year, they said it was going to be spring. And um, we didn't immediately know it was in this release either because it wasn't in the release notes or anywhere that we could see. So it took actually running the new software to to see it. But it is there, and it seems to work as advertised. They put a beta label on the feature. But if you've been waiting for universal control, it's now there in beta. I mean, it makes a great demo, and especially if it's automatic and magic, like everyone testing these beta ones is seeing. I don't, I don't run betas on my Mac, so I can't do it myself. But everyone's tweeting about it as if it works like magic. So it's such a good demo. In real world, I still struggle a little bit whether i'm going to use it very much but it's definitely a use it's definitely like one of those niches right where apple didn't have a solution before now they have a solution if you are somebody who does always have you know you're dual wielding an ipad and a laptop all day long for your work or whatever then it's going to come in handy or if you have a, a second mac on the same desk and you just need to copy a file over or move a window around you don't want to have a whole separate keep on a mass setup well now you can just virtualize it with universal control so i'm not saying it's a useless feature but it's niche uh cool though definitely cool it's it's a step up from sidecar where you would use your ipad as uh, a second display from your your mac now if you've got the mac and an ipad you know the ipad's pretty capable not not as capable as the mac but it's pretty capable so uh it definitely feels better on the device to control it and it's you know native user interface and not this really scaled down version of of uh, mac os on the ipad so um, for me, that's like the advancement, you know, that it goes from sidecar to universal control. Um, and it's good. Yeah, so a fair amount of surprises with these today, with today beta seeds, which makes up for a relatively quiet uh, 15.3 release for sure. A happy hour is also brought to you by Helix. Are you sleeping on a sagging old mattress? Well, you deserve better. In fact, you might be laying down on that mattress right now as you listen to this show. So if that is you, if you are in need of a mattress upgrade, that's where Helix can come in to help. Take the Helix sleep quiz in just two minutes and get instantly matched with a mattress that is perfect for you. Tune to your sleep preferences and body type. Helix knows that not everyone is the same. So they have several different models on offer, like a super soft, medium and firm mattress. There's even a version that is designed to cool you down if you sleep particularly hot. Now, I'm pretty jealous because I know that, Zach, you did the quiz and you actually got sent a Helix mattress to try. So how do you like it? Yeah, I mentioned earlier in this episode that I love quizzes that make you feel, you know, it, they actually feels like you're you're answering questions that are, are matter <laughs> and you've got the right set of answers to, to give. Um, th- this In this case, the quiz was super easy to do. I, I en- ended up with the Helix Midnight Mattress. And, um, you know, in, in this case, I think it's especially important because with the mattress, you know, the old days, you'd go into a store and lay down and try it. Um, and, and, but with ordering one, you know, a little bit concerned about, am I going to like it that I've got, you know, swap it out and everything. Um, but Helix nailed it for me with midnight as the mattress type. Um, I, I love it. (laughs) I I really do. Um, it's super comfortable. It's, you know, when I have like company over, I like, Hey, try my bed. (laughs) It's, it's a Helix mattress, you know, just cause it's, it's, it's that comfortable. So, um, absolutely love my Helix mattress. So if you are looking for a mattress, just go and take the Helix quiz, order it, the mattress that you're matched with, and it comes shipped to your door for free. You don't need to visit a physical store. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So just go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5Mac, take their two-minute sleep quiz, 
and they'll match you to a customized mattress to give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty and you can try it out for 100 nights for free. If you don't love it, they'll come back and pick it up for you. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for happy hour listeners. So go to helixsleep.com slash 9to5mac now. That's spelt H-E-L-I-X-S-L-E-E-P dot com slash 9to5mac. Thanks to Helix Sleep for sponsoring the show. Mm, Bloomberg had a story today about future iPhone features in the Apple Pay realm. Uh, what's what's uh, Mark Garman reporting? Yeah, this is interesting. So obviously, they have Apple Pay where you take your iPhone, you tap it on a payment terminal to do a contactless payment. And they have Apple Pay Cash only in the US where you can send money between friends just through like iMessage or whatever. And now they seem to be adding like a like making your iPhone the payment terminal that a retailer would use. So this is kind of stepping into square territory. So the idea is uh, today, if you're a small business and you're just in your shop and you want to accept a payment using an iPhone, well, you have to use like these little external third-party adapter thingies. These are often made by Square. They just kind of plug in the Lightning port and they give people a little place to be a contactless receiver for a contactless card. Uh, or they have the little slot so you can swipe and put it in and do it into your Chip, pin and yeah. everything. Um, but obviously that requires extra hardware. It's quite bulky. Apple is apparently developing functionality where you won't need the extra dock docking unit. You'll just be able to take a contactless credit card or debit card and just tap it to the back of the, the iPhone and it will be able to make a payment that way. So kind of eliminating the need for those little square accessory thingies. So you can imagine if you're a little shop or maybe you run like a food truck, you all you need is your iPhone to take payment. You just tap your card to the back of the phone and then apparently it will do it all. Uh, it's going to be branded as part of Apple Pay and it comes from uh, the fact that Apple acquired a company that made this functionality for Android devices uh, called MobiWave. They acquired them about a year and a half ago and now they've been working on integrating it in for as an iPhone exclusive feature. It, it, it's a good feature that should exist and, and um, it will be convenient in a lot of use cases when it, when it arrives. I, I still don't know if we're, if, if if I were a business, I would want to be able to accept cards that either do chip or swipe as, as well, just because I feel like even this far along with Apple pay and contactless payments, it's, it's never a guarantee that you've got it set up or that the customer, you know, has has their card set up in it or their bank supports it i mean especially in the u.s <laughs> especially in the u.s yeah i mean any major bank supports apple pay um lots and lots of of credit unions around the country do i think the number is like in the five digits now on on how many or institutions support it um but but this is a matter matter of adoption though i'm not sure it, in the u.s that that we're we're there yet where it's like no, we we won't take your card. You you have to use your phone or your watch to do this. Yeah, it's a clever feature. I don't think it's going to like destroy Square's business or anything because although they are known for that little adapter, that's not really their the way they make their money, right? They offer like entire point of sale solutions to all right. these businesses, yeah. which I they, see all over the place. Yeah. yeah, they make they do the billing, they do the transactions, they they have like square cash registers, so if you need to get change out, it just automatically do it for you. They have those little things that look like, you know, like iPads connected to cash registers and stuff. Like 
And as you say, you're not going to replace your entire merchant business just with the ability to tap a credit card to the back of your phone. So all that stuff is going to exist. Square's not going to go anywhere. But maybe maybe they'll raise some interconnected concerns if Square isn't allowed to use the credit card protection functionality (laughs) for their own payments and it's it's Apple exclusive, but... Uh, which might actually happen but just standalone it's cool that apple's gonna add this option but it doesn't feel like a it feels like one part of a massive ecosystem if you actually wanted to help small businesses take payments because what's gonna happen if you tap a credit card on the back of my phone like where does it get billed to can you make a receipt can you do any you know can you can you connect it to your back-end accounting system like there's a lot of complexity there to actually do that right and that's obviously why these businesses like square have expanded from just the little thing that plugs into the bottom of your phone to this entire you know platform essentially uh based on this rumor based on what you know about apple it doesn't feel like they're really gonna have the interest in making and maintaining an entire you know small business payments platform so just adding the functionality on its own probably going to be a limited utility like i mean I, I can see it as you know you got a lunch with some friends and you split the check and you know instead of apple pay cash and you know you go through the messages app and everything which is convenient on its own but you just say you know tap your phone on their phone or, you know, well it doesn't actually say you can tap your phone on your phone though really hmm oh, okay no it does actually with a tap of a credit card or another iphone okay yeah. so yeah you you can just like do your iphone back to back yeah that's all that, that's how i could see it marketed though is like you know give it even like giving your kids uh allowance you know with apple pay cash thing like you know as, as i just wish they'd bring apple pay cash to uh my country or any country yeah. apart from the united states it's pretty good yeah it would be nice and now there'd be even more features that i won't be able to use mm, yeah and uh, next up last week there was news uh from apple that the head of PR, head of communications for Apple, Stella Lowe, who was hired about a year and a half ago, uh, was leaving to spend more time with her family, and uh, an internal hire would replace her uh, effective immediately. Um, no no real backstory here, even in the week since this, this happened. Um, Stella Lowe does tweet, and, and, and since she's been gone, she's, like, shared the more time with family thing in, in you know, actuality. Uh, you know, kind of backing that up is more than just like the usual line. Um, so maybe it wasn't like a, this isn't working out thing. It would be, I, I, you know, probably naively, but I, I think it actually could be a, like, we're in a weird time right now and I have kids and let me, spend, and let me be, I don't have to work kind of thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I've said that's quite likely. Like, yes, it is very true that an executive going to spend more time with their family is very <laughs> much a euphemism for, you know, we're showing you the door politely. Right. And we're not going to make you seem like an idiot, but, they probably said John Brown was spending more time with his family, and we know we know what down we we know what down he didn't actually down have a family. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we know what went down there, but in this case, I think it's very possible. Like, there's so many reasons why any employee, but even more extensu- state extenuated when it's a you know at the executive level, like culture fit is a thing, right? You can like a company, aspire to like a company, think they're cool, think you can do stuff there, but then you actually get the job and you don't like it or it's too much work or it's more work than you anticipated or you have ideas that other people at the company don't want to adopt like you might have been hired with the uh, prerogative that you're going to bring some new fresh blood into the organization you're going to be able to do this and this and that and we want your views we want your opinion but inevitably 
you make suggestions that people don't like and then you get upset that what you want to happen isn't happening so you just end up leaving again right and these are all risks of any hire and i'm sure this happens at apple day in day out but when it's at the executive level especially the vp and head of communications right head of pr then it becomes a new story during her tenure which was short it was only marginally longer than uh how long John Browett lasted. Did we hear of any craziness about what was going on? Not not really. Like I know I know the CSAM thing happened in that time, but like that that clearly was in the works for months and months before she joined. Like she joined in like April. They announced the CSAM thing in like July. So is she it, and and much of the CSAM thing, even if they'd have released the press releases perfectly, if they'd done the, the features completely independently, you know, with the messages stuff and the actual CSAM scanning of your iCloud photos, like if they'd have fully separated out and executed perfectly, people still would have thrown a hissy fit about it because it is just a controversial policy decision, right? And the head of PR doesn't choose the policy. They're just in, in, in charge of distributing it. And so much of the CSAM backlash would have happened even if they'd have announced it in the most ideal way possible. They didn't announce it in the most ideal way possible, but that clearly wasn't the only reason why it became such a, a mess that it had to be you know, rolled back and is currently pending and we don't know the status of it at all at the moment. Like, I don't put... I put very little of that responsibility on Stella's shoulders and I highly doubt that even if it was entirely her fault that Apple would be like, well, that's your chance, you're gone again, right? You're this really respective <laughs> Cisco executive... But you've messed up this see something. It's such an embarrassment to us. You know, a few people on Twitter got mad about it. That's it. You're out the door. Like executives at that level, I feel like they get a while, but they get some they get some they get some spare time, right? John Brower lasted months, and yeah, it was slightly shorter than her tenure, but he was causing like active disruption <laughs> to like retail employees on the ground. Like it wasn't just this like internal matter or, or conflict. Like retail employees were literally like revolting at the, the New York Times decisions. was like covering his tenure and how many changes were happening that were negatively affecting employees. Yeah, John Brown was like a bad president, like in terms of the public <laughs> opinion and public interest and what was what was disseminating outside of the company. Like it's a completely different situation. A much better example is like Scott Forstall, right? Like Apple and Scott Forstall clearly didn't see eye to eye for a long time before the Apple Max the Apple Maps debacle, right? Like they were they were separating ever since Jobs died. And Forstall was getting maybe too big in his boots he was having he was trying to act too much like jobs without the necessarily like the back character to back him up and jobs had gone so he was kind of on his own he you know he was isolating he was being annoying but he was still in the job for years and it was like the, the apple maps thing was like the straw that that broke the camel's back the stella low situation it seems unlikely to me that there was like that she like specifically did something really wrong like the see something is just bad timing i think occam's razor she joined the job. She had a change of heart in her own mind. She's like, okay, you know, there's a lot of stress here. It's a cool job, but I just don't want it. I, I'm just going to go and spend time with family. Or maybe she had some family crisis that we just don't know about because it's a private matter. And she was like, look, I've just joined this job, but, you know, I've got this unfortunate situation with my family. I just need to go spend time with them. So she's gone again. Yeah. Um, I don't think it should be, like, examined too deeply as, like, a, you know, what did Apple do wrong? Because really... It's so easy to blame the see something at shoulders just because of the dates, but it feels a bit too convenient to me for that to really be the problem. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it's I think it's unfortunate that the, the how uh, spend more time with family has has turned out. You know, because it's it's what you say every time when when you don't want to give um, a negative reason. But in this case, like you said, I think it's very likely. Um, she had a tweet uh, about five days ago that was: "There are times in life when we need to focus on loved ones who need our support." Taking time off for family should be celebrated, supported, and cherished. Lucky enough to be taking a few months out to do just that. More to come. Hashtag family first. Uh, and then she had another tweet that was like a few days later. Um, it was her first Monday morning where she wasn't, you know, going to Apple and leading leading communications. And, um, and, and you know, she's from the UK, right? And so she says, uh, her, her daughter called and said, Mom, I have COVID. Can you come get me? Uh, and, and it was just like the timing of all of that was was just worked out. So, um, totally buy it that, you know, I think we would have heard by now if there was something more to it. Um, and, and then the, the person who replaces her, I don't know how you say her last name, but Kristen Huguet. Huguet. That's probably how I'd pronounce it, but yeah, yeah. I don't know either. H-U-G-U-E-T. Uh, she's been with the company for a long, long time. And it, you see this happening where Apple tries out external people and for one reason or another doesn't work. I mean, re- Retail was the big thing because there was, you know, after uh, Ron Johnson, there was, uh, you know, a big gap. And then there was John Browett and that was horrible. And then there was another big gap. And then you had Angela Arantz from Burberry and that was a really good fit. And she wasn't like, she was not fired either. You know, it's. She, yeah, she, people seem to like look badly on the Angela Arantz era, but yeah. she did her job. She did it well. You know, they actually made some significant changes to how the Apple Store was run and the appeal of it. And. Obviously, it's slightly different now, but the the core tenets of her reign continue. Like they still make these stores look crazy, and they you know, they've had to adjust some some operations side of things. But in general, like the Angela Errance like idea continues. Like all the stuff about you know it becoming what do they call it? Like, they're not the I'm um, not the the town square or whatever they call it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, like they don't call it a town square anymore, but all of the activities and events and continuous today at Apple calendar that continues. They, they obviously it had to be metered down because of COVID, but before COVID times, they were continuing that program and policy all the way through. Like people say, like get too negative about the Oren zero as if she got kicked out for like not being a culture fit, but she clearly survived that company for what, five years. And she did good, good work and they haven't just rolled everything back. So right. And, and, she, and she certainly, right she wasn't like brow. She was at a point in her career where she'd, been a ceo for for many years and and then you know to take an svp job you know is is ordinarily wouldn't be a, a step up but in this case you know you're basically the, the the ceo of apple retail and that you like she was for burberry um the burberry and so uh that that was definitely a case of you know she she was moving on and it was unfortunate because of the timing because that i think that was around the 10s 10r iphone cycle and that's when apple needed to start marketing their like competitively market their phones and like increase their sell pitch because that just wasn't the right mix for that year of, of, you know, hardware and features compared to other phones and previous cycles. And they, and they ended up getting like even the branding, right. The, the following year with, uh, instead of 10 S and 10 R to say 11 and 11 pro. Um, but, but that's when, you know, you see limited time offer on top of apple.com and that never went away for the longest time. And, um, you know, there was talk of, well, that wasn't her style. So she left not to avoid that. But, um, yeah, you know, like you said before, the, sometimes these things, it does, there doesn't have to be a big juicy firing story in the background. 
Um, but but you do see when that happens, you know, when there's this back and forth that um, like what what they did for retail was was you know bring in someone who was a, a life lifetime employee at Apple, and they ended up doing the same thing here, where it's someone who's internal and not even like a recent hire, but you know just in the interim, you know, someone has to kind of take the reins and do the retail job or do the communications job when there's not someone at the top. And so um, it's someone internally obviously doing that. And so in this case, it seems like they're through with, with uh, shopping around and for, for other people. And they just say, well, this is what we're doing. Let's make it official. Yeah. Going with, from within, it reduces the risk of culture fit problems, right? Like I still think you can have disaster problems and get kicked out for that way. But in terms of, the workload in terms of knowing your your the people you're working with having respect for them you know knowing the boundaries and the parameters of the job like all that stuff is much more locked down when you're hiring from within versus taking someone brand new from outside like bringing people in from the outside might be appealing in terms of fresh blood and new ideas and diversity in terms of just the, the business strategy but it definitely has a lot higher chance of backfiring in terms of just people wanting to do other things or not being prepared for the, the stresses and the realities of a you know full-time job as an Apple executive, which I'm sure is no mean feat. Finally this week, Happy Hour is sponsored by Kanji. Kanji offers next-generation Apple device management for your business, spanning Mac, iPad, iPhone, and even Apple TV. Kanji offers a full suite of tools to automate device setup and ongoing management of all your Apple devices in your business. Kanji makes it so easy to transform any new Mac into a computer that is ready for work with all the right apps and settings in place. And devices managed with Kanji keep themselves secure automatically, apps are patched, macOS is updated, and security controls are enforced without manual management from admins. And with automatic remediations, Kanji can detect if an important app has been uninstalled or a setting has been changed incorrectly, and not only alert you, but even automatically, autonomously fix it, saving you precious time. Most MDM solutions give you the tools to help you manually achieve general security compliance but kanji goes one step further everything that you need has already been built like scripts and settings profiles and it's all ready to use neatly organized into templates and with the automatic self-service app users of the devices can easily see a list of curated apps that they can install on their own and the self-service app can be white labeled with your own branding help text and categories so it fits right in with your business once an app is installed it's kept up to date automatically through the Kanji platform. So go to kanji.io slash happy hour for a free demo or trial. That's spelled K-A-N-D-J-I dot I-O slash happy hour. Kanji.io slash happy hour. Thanks to Kanji for sponsoring the show. Yep, and I will add that I'm, that I'm not a sysadmin myself. So, you know, this isn't the sort of thing that I that I, that I benefit from. But um, if you want to support happy hour, there's nothing to, to buy here right now. They... It's it's really just if you are a sysadmin and you're not familiar with, with with Kanji, check them out and see if they have something that can help you work better. Right, next up is Apple TV Plus. This is what we'll wrap up with this week. Benjamin, you are uh, a widely respected around the world Apple TV Plus reporter. What do you have to report this week? <laughs> <laughs> I, I tried to be. I tried to be. Uh-huh. Uh, we haven't talked about Apple TV Plus for a while and some interesting stuff's been happening, but a couple of things in particular I just want to call out. Uh, so... Apple announced uh, earlier in January that it has ordered a new live-action series from the MonsterVerse. Not the Metaverse, the MonsterVerse. That means that uh, Godzilla from like Godzilla vs. Kong and Kong Skull Island, those movies, uh, that kind of franchise, 
produced by Legendary Television, uh, Apple is bringing a series uh, based on those characters to Apple TV+. This is probably the closest you're going to get to like a a Marvel competitor, right? From like the Marvel Avengers universe, uh, not on Disney Plus, but on Apple TV Plus. Uh, this is a you know Godzilla's got a pretty big following, and I think it kind of shows that while Apple is still focused on doing original content, they're not opposed to using intellectual property of others to make new original series and, and movies, right? So we see it with snoopy and stuff like that and this is clearly going to be their biggest entrance so you know a truly original show wouldn't have any ip to fall back on it would be incredible just original new characters only exclusively and obviously apple tv plus has a lot of that but they've clearly showed a tendency more recently to also develop projects that feature known characters that exist in other places in this case there's a whole film franchise you know many films that have grossed hundreds of millions of dollars at the box office but this is the first time that the godzilla and the titans characters will appear in a live action television show there's an animated show uh, being made for netflix i believe but now uh, apple's got the rights to a live action version so you can imagine it's going to have some cool visuals right apple gives it a big budget and godzilla versus kong may not be very uh, story driven but it does look pretty with lots of cool fight sequences and so i think they're going to Combine that with a decent story to give you, you know, a nice series that hopefully will be very popular. But again, another entrance from Apple into like branded IP to make original content, not just like we're just going to make up characters from our own minds. Yeah. And this is Godzilla Monsterverse. So not to be confused with the metaverse or, but it's, it's the Monsterverse. So that's what, that's what Apple will have is the Monsterverse while everyone else (laughs) plays with the metaverse. Uh, Next up is an ad. For TV Plus that, that the internet found hilarious. I haven't watched it yet. Should I? I should. But. You haven't watched it? It's a great ad. <laughs> I haven't. I haven't. It's everyone but John Hamm. Oh, I'll uh, I'll describe it to you in words. So basically, John Hamm is sitting in some super expensive plush apartment, nice sofa, big TV, hanging up. And for a minute long, he just kind of scrolls through the Apple TV Plus catalogue and complains that he's not in it. So it's like, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson... You know, Tom Holland, Tom Hanks, Jason Sudeikis, you know, Jen and Reese, Snoopy, two Mahershalas, because they quote song, Swan Song, where Mahershala, the Mahershala Ali character uh, clones himself. Um, mm-hmm. And that's it. Like, that's the ad. But it's just done perfectly, like a perfect level of humor and tone. And it gets across the point that I was trying to make that, you know, our surveys has big stars, right? Probably in shows that you haven't heard of, because in the wider in the wider world, Apotivius penetration in mindshare is still low. So what a better way to do it than to make this like minute long funny ad where they're going against the grain of what you might expect. Because most ads don't work in the negative, right? They work by saying, look, we have this show, we have this show, we have this show. But the way this is framed is it's just John Hamm with an Apple TV remote scrolling going, I'm not in this one. I'm not in this one. You know, just come in a, in a humorous way. He like calls up Tom Hanks at one moment. He's like, maybe in the next film you do for Apple, I can be in it too. And then there's no answer. And like, that's, that's the, that's the gambit. Right. And it, it plays off. It could easily be done very cheesily, very stupidly, but the way the tone is just done perfectly. Like it's a great commercial. It's short to the point, And it's so effective at getting across the message without having like text on the screen or a voiceover being like, Apple TV Plus, home of the biggest stars. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have any of that. It doesn't even say like, John Hamm doesn't say Apple TV Plus in the entire commercial. 
you only see the screen UI and there's the Team Plus logo at the end. But I think it's really effective. They're playing it on NFL playoff games. They're playing it online. Uh, based on what I've seen on Twitter, people seem to like it as well. Like, I think it's a great ad. I have to watch it. It reminds me of the John Stewart ad where it was like sort of self-deprecating in the way of like, how do you watch Apple TV? Like, yeah. Where is this? yeah, where he was like, every year people <laughs> have the tragedy of missing so much content because they don't know where to find it. Yeah, like that. Yeah. It's definitely in that style. Uh, and fingers crossed, I, maybe when they finish doing the campaign, they'll announce like a John Hamm TV plus show. <laughs> that would be a nice conclusion where it's like, now John Hamm's here too. But yeah, it's a good ad. Yep. And then uh, Sundance, what's there? Sundance. So it seems to be Apple's trend. Every Sundance, they try and get like the biggest movie premiere from there to get it exclusive rights. Last year, they got Coda, which was very popular. That set a, a record for like the Coda, the co, the um, Sundance budget, and sorry, not the Sundance budget, the Sundance deal, right? A, a record for most expensive deal in terms of getting rights for a film. That one was twenty five million dollar. Sundance acquisition. Uh, they're back again this year. Uh, they've won worldwide rights to the Sundance crowd pleaser film Cha Cha Real Smooth, and not quite as much money as what they paid for Coda. I think it's like fifteen million compared to twenty five million last year. But again, another film for them to add to their ever growing catalog, and it seems to have worked well for Coda. Like everyone laughed at them for the time to paying so much money for it, but for a start, they only paid that much money because they were other networks also trying to get the movie so i mean what do you want if you want them to win it they have to pay more money that um, works yeah that's funnily how it works uh but also coda's paying off for them it's been a decent uh it's got a decent reception like in terms of viewership i think and it's got a lot of awards contention a lot of nominations and maybe some oscar chances in certain categories and stuff so i'm sure they're going to try and hope to replicate some of that success with cha-cha real smooth based on early critical reviews though it seems like this film would be more like a, you know, family, not family, but like a an, an at-home focus rather than awards eye. It's like Coda was more geared towards getting a, awards interest, whereas the plot and the kind of narrative of Charter Real Smooth is much more like, it's nothing innovative or adventurous, but it's just a fun, crowd-pleasing film for people to watch. So you can expect that to come to TV Plus probably in the summer. Mm, very nice. And I will end this week with some breaking news. Apple reported their Q1 2022 holiday earnings, and the number for the billion dollars of revenue is $123.95 billion in revenue. $123 billion. Crazy. Yeah. It's always like, is that a typo? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if there's anything interesting that happens on the uh, earnings call, we will discuss next week. Um, but, but you know, that's the big number. <laughs> So and and they beat expectations by a lot. So they're doing doing all right. All right, that is the Happy Hour podcast for the week. If you enjoy the show, please follow or subscribe. You can uh, get the ad free version in Apple Podcasts for four ninety nine per month. Uh, we appreciate your support there. We appreciate all the support for our sponsors as well. That lets us keep doing this show every week. And um, if you have any feedback, you can email us together at happyhour at 9to5mac.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ApolloZak. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-Z-A-C. And Benjamin, you're at on Twitter. B-Z-A-M-A-O. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.